Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. If you would, continue to turn with me to the Gospel according to St. Luke. We're in the last bit of chapter 8. I know that we've been there for a while. Because no doubt, and I hope that you've picked up, that there is a lot to this little chapter. And there's a lot of encouragement that we can take from the Word of God. And there's also a lot of misconceptions that Jesus Himself dispels in these pages. One of the things that He's tackling here is the concept of what does it mean to have faith? Now, I know that there are many out there from the name it and claim it or grab it and blab it uh, theology that don't necessarily like this passage. Because to a lot of their ears, faith is the Christian's ability to bend God's will to their personal benefit. Let me say that again because that is a dangerous conception to have. There are many out there that believe and that proclaim from the pulpit that faith is a means by which the Christian individual can bend the will of God to their own personal benefit. Whereas faith is something completely different. What is it? How much of it does, do we have? Where does it come from? Does it act like a fuel source or like a switch? These are the things that Jesus actually tackles in a very practical way in this passage. And this is, this is what you could consider two different stories tackled together in one single pericope in the, that's a $40 way of saying story, in this passage. So before we go any further, uh, let's bow our hearts together and ask God's blessing upon the service of the Word. Heavenly Father. It's again that we ask you to open our ears and our hearts and our minds to what is before us. Bless these efforts as we seek to dine extravagantly from the table of your word. Um, use me. Allow us all to die to self. But may we, be a may we be blessed by your word as presented this morning so that through your direction we may likewise be a blessing and an encouragement to others. In the most holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So let's begin with verse 40. Verse 40. When you get there, say amen. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. And I, know, I want you to notice straight off the bat the difference that physician Luke puts down here for us. When he left the, the city of the Gesserines in the last passage... He was kicked out of town. And now when he returns to his own, when he comes into the presence of the people of God, what are they doing? They're welcoming him. They see him come on the boat back across the, the Sea of Galilee, the Lake Galilee, really, and they start, uh, they welcome him personally back to their community. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, 
was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Notice that coincidence. Jairus' daughter was how old? And how, old, how long had this lady been suffering? 12 years. This is, I don't believe, a coincidence. I believe that there's a thematic continuity here provided by the Holy Spirit. But let's continue. No one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. More literally, the hem of his garment. And I want you to note that. And immediately her bleeding had stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Uh, Peter here in his usual station is the person who tries to correct Jesus. Uh, let me tell this story for you. Jesus is not only welcomed back to this community, but hordes of people are coming up, as many as can press around him, to get a look of the master, this healer, this miracle worker, this teacher sent from God, someone that they've recognized as a prophet. And they're crowding around him. And this woman reaches through the crowd and she touches him. And all of a sudden, Jesus feels it. And he turns around and he asks, who touched me? Did he need to know that? I mean, did he need to ask the question? No, there was a spiritual truth here that Jesus, as a rabbi, was trying to point out. And Peter, in his, in his human wisdom, says, Master, there's a huge crowd. There isn't a person here who didn't touch you. Open mouth, insert foot. That was his typical way of doing things. And how so often it's also ours. But Jesus said, somebody touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Now that's significant too. That means that every time Jesus uses His giftedness as our example, we also hear that he is, he is not necessarily using His own abilities here as a part of the Godhead, but as our example, He's working through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And He says, someone touched me and it cost me something. Now God is all-sufficient, all-powerful. I'm not debating that. But Jesus knew that His power had been used. Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at His feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched Him and how she had been instantly healed. This was incredible for several reasons. Number one, this lady was, was bleeding. Now, anybody that had some type of bodily emission where something was, uh, if, if you had a sore, if you were bleeding, no matter what kind of bleeding or, or, or situation that it was, you were considered in this society ceremonially unclean. She should not have been in the crowd, much less touching fellow Israelites, much less in the city at all. In fact, in, in this situation, there are many that presuppose that she wasn't even Jewish, but she understood the law. She knew the culture from around her. Regardless of where she originally came from, she knew the situation. She knew the law. She knew the rabbi. 
She had heard stories of him. She had faith. If she was a Gentile, that's even more miraculous because this would have been someone that was outside of the community of the people of God that just happened to be living there. But she had enough faith to go beyond the scope of the law to beg for grace. Write this down in your notes. What the law could not accomplish, grace can. What the law cannot accomplish, grace can. By the law, she could not approach the rabbi. By the law, she could not even be in the town. By the law, she could certainly not touch him. Seeing the situation, she knew that the cost of proclaiming her faith would have been her own life. I want you to understand that point too. Because of the law of the land, by kneeling in front of him, the reason she was trembling was because as an unclean person in the midst of the crowd, much less in the midst of the rabbi and a ruler of the synagogue, by announcing that she was the one, her life legally was forfeit. However, what the law could not do, grace did. So she proclaimed her faith. And this was Jesus' response. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. In more literal terms, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So what can we gather from this passage and other passages that we've come across in Scripture? First of all, faith is not a mystical power. Now we treat it like that, we treat it as a form of magic that if you say this prayer so many times, if you do this particular thing, if you cross yourself a certain way, if you enact in all of these different rites and rituals, then you have an increase of faith, as though faith is something that you have as we have gas in a, in a gas tank in your car. But faith is not a mystical power in that sense. Is there a mystery behind it? Yes. But is it a power that we can exploit for our own benefit? No. Faith is not a means of controlling God. Now there are many in the New Age movement, in the, in the Jewish version of that uh, particular type of movement, the, uh, the, the Kabbalah, there is this movement that says if you have certain skills, certain knowledges, if you have a certain amount of faith, or view the faith in this certain way, that you can actually bend God's will to your own as though that God has no personality, no will of his own, as though he is a, a force rather than a person. This robs God of his personhood. Can faith control God? No. Some treat faith as a finite substance within the believer as though you have a gas meter, whether you have a full amount of faith, a mid-level mid amount of faith, or a full tank. In fact, there are several denominations that say unless you pray on your hands and knees on the altar for long enough and exhibit such and such gifts that you cannot possibly be saved. My Bible tells me that whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For by grace are you saved through 
faith. There is a tandem relationship here. But you have to understand where faith comes from in the first place. Faith is not an excuse to place oneself in a higher state of value than another person. There are others that because of their station as clergy members or their station as a deacon or elder or whatever you want to call it, depending upon the church, who claim that they have such nice faith that look at all the things that God has given me. Look at my house. Look at my clothing. Look at my station. Faith is not an excuse for someone to have a higher value than anybody else. For God is not a respecter of persons. God is not biased except by His own will. No matter how much money that you have, no matter how many things that you possess, no matter how... You cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot put things on display to try to curry favor with God. You either have it or you don't. You can't bribe God. So faith is not something that is within our realms of control, within one exception. And let's talk about that exception. What is true faith? What is the definition of faith? How does it have that relationship with us in our salvation experience, and how does it carry us forward? This is the way the writer of Hebrews defines faith for us. I believe this is the Apostle Paul, but I know that there's a lot of conjecture about that. But let's move on. This is part of canonized Scripture, and we recognize it as the Word of God. Please treat it with that reverence. And I know that you've probably memorized this with the King James Version. I did too, but let's go with this one because that's what you have in your pew Bibles. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, when the, the Greek word that we translate there as confidence is a lot more firm. Confidence can be shaken. Faith is something that if we choose to look at this world through the eyes of faith, and I'll talk more about that in just a second, faith is something that steadies us. Like a, not a ship on seas, but if you, if you hold to your faith, it will hold you the same way that roots anchor a tree. Faith is confidence, an absolute that you know that you know and why you know it. It's a confidence in what we hope for, an evidence, assurance of things we do not see. God is an invisible God. Now, He has an image, but no one can see it. It's one of the reasons that we don't carve statues and call it God. Nevertheless, we know that God works. How can you tell that you have an atmosphere? How can you tell that there's air around you? You see the leaves rustling. How do we know that God exists? Because we see Him at work. Because in every mercy, every blessing, every time we look at the wonder of a newborn child, every time that we stare into the eyes of someone that we can truly call a friend, every time that suddenly a mercy appears in spite of the conditions that we live in as being in part of a fallen world, we see the wind rustling, we see the power of God at play. So what can we derive from this? First, faith is a regenerate mindset. It is a gift of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift of God. 
part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, patience, all this comes to you, including your faith. Jesus Christ, the author and finisher, completion, perfecter. Your faith is a gift of God. It's a regenerate mindset characterized by a total reliance on Him, on His will and provision. It's an antidote to pride. Because one of the things that our faith will teach us is that we can't do it on our own. Can you save yourselves from the judgment? Can you work to undo all the red in your ledger? Can you sustain yourself in living in a fallen world and never becoming a victim of its circumstances? All these things, we can only have our peace, our joy, all that is only capable of being part of our lives as a direct action from God. Faith also is a trust in His promises. We did a whole series of sermons on the precious promises of God coming out of COVID because at, at more than any other time in our history has our faith been challenged. Why is all this happening to us? Why are these things besetting us? My God tells me that I will sustain all of your needs according to His riches in Glory. Now, we might not necessarily get rich anytime soon, but my God says that He will supply all your needs. Faith holds true to trusting in His precious promises. We also read this in Hebrews chapter 11. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about, and this is, this is in that same passage where he's proclaiming the heroes of the faith of the Old Testament, the hall of heroes that have demonstrated their faithfulness to a God they could not see. I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David, Samuel, and the prophets who, who's, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Notice that these people did not conquer by their own strength, but because God delivered the victory to them. Who shut the mouths of lions, quelched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies? Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There are others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. That's the phrase that a lot of uh, prosperity gospelists don't like to preach on. Because bad times will happen. Death will happen. Illness will happen. Bankruptcy will happen. Times of fear will happen. Times when this world seems to cave in on us, they will happen. We are promised such. Persecution will happen. We are promised such. But God who gives you, who plants you here for just such a time as this, if He calls you into a situation, He will be the one who sustains you. He will guide you. He will hold you up if we only trust. What is that glorious old song of the faith? Trust and Obey. All these things happen so that you might have a blessing greater than anything that you could realize. And in the words of the author of Hebrews, gain an even better resurrection. 
So faith is also characterized by a spirit-given harmony with the will of God. Please write that down. Faith does not bend God to our will. Faith bends us to His. Faith does not bend God to our will. Faith changes us to make our will vibrate sympathetically with His. And it's also a Christ-like humility in times of victory. If you survive the circumstances of this life, if you are blessed through the trials and the tribulations of everyday living, who bought you the victory? Christ did. God did. The Holy Spirit did. Everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we hope to be in this life is a gift of God. As a people, we are blessed and highly favored. The children of the Most High. When you are given the victory, just as Moses proclaimed in Torah, remember from who the victory comes. If you have a bank account that's surviving through the recession, praise God. If you have faced a time of illness, but have been given a physician that knows exactly what's going on and how to help you, praise God. If you have a church that blesses you because it comes to you in your time of aid, praise God. If you have a situation in your life that no person can possibly wiggle their way out of, and yet you survive, praise God. That glorious old song of faith, praise God from whom? All blessings flow. You know, you know, part of that poem originates from the time of the plague. The black death that took away a fourth of Europe's population. And yet the monks of the time and later on the Church of England who sustained all this death cried out with a single voice, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. This is faith. The poetry and the voice of faith raised by the people of God as one. Because he bought the victory. The writer of Hebrews goes on, Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. And yet, God held them together. Faith is also a sustaining peace through all of life's trials. Faith is joy that defies all of life's circumstances. And that's the trap we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Faith is an anchor that holds us in God's strength. Again, not calling upon God to do our will, but securing us and protecting us and providing for us so that we would resonate in His. 
Faith is also the ultimate antidote and the only antidote to fear. Fear is a mild form of atheism. Fear is a mild form of atheism. Now, being presented with a set of circumstances that causes you that initial reaction of fear, that's one thing because you're human beings. You have an instinctive relationship. This is perfectly true. But if you live in it, if you dwell in it, if you marinate yourself in it, it means one of two things. Either, number one, you were never really fully discipled in the Word of God, or number two, you trust the fallen wisdom more than you trust the promises of God. Effectively, you live as though God was a liar. Faith secures you in the promise and the hope that is God. It is the ultimate and the only antidote to fear. The woman that we were talking about, she who had been bleeding for 12 years, she had endured physical weakness, meaning that her health had been robbed from her. She was considered ceremonially unclean, which means that her position as someone within this community, remember, uh, according to the other Gospels, this is someone who spent her entire livelihood for 12 years on physicians. This means that before her illness, she was a person of some means. She was someone apparently who had a degree of wealth about her in her own right and was able to hire doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor for 12 constant years and all those doctors could do nothing. So because of both her ceremonial condition and her lack of resources at this time, it's, it, we can well assume that she was destitute. And she had a position within her community, one of, of utter respect that was lost because of it. She was now marginalized, both because of her poverty and because of her religious condition. Which is why we should always remember there, but for the grace of God go, I. Her means was gone. Basically the three great pillars in what we would consider a human life. There's actually four. The last one is faith. And let's see what she does with it. Is that one pillar strong enough to hold up a life? Is that one pillar strong enough to hold up a life when the other three are gone? Remember, this is human wisdom, not godly wisdom. She, she was tested by human failure. She heard the testimonies of Jesus and his proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. She trusted in the mercy of God's will. And she relied on God's strength and his mercy. Because again, she shouldn't be alive. If the letter of the law had been carried out in her profession of faith, her profession of faith would have cost her her life. Please write that down. In her profession of faith, like so many of our martyrs, it would have cost her her life. But she approached Jesus and thereby God in reverence and in humility trusting in his mercy. And she confessed herself to Christ and awaited his judgment and obedience. And what was the judgment of God? Daughter, he calls her. Daughter, he calls her. This was not some ordinary salutation. 
Your faith, according to the Christian Standard Bible, which is using another uh, way to translate this word, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. No condemnation, but salvation on two fronts. The word defined here as healed or made whole can also mean to be saved. Literally, it means to be made whole, but when she approached Christ, she not only received comfort for her body, she also received a healing for her soul. She was truly made whole. He called her as his own child. So now we have to ask the question, what does the enemy do against the silver bullet, this weapon in the Christian's arsenal? What is the trap of circumstances? This is what the enemy puts in our path. Luke goes on actually to give us an example of that. While Jesus was speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the master anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. Is any task too great for God? No. Now, if, if it were in the will of God for this child to remain dead, she would have remained death. But Jesus' will stated that God's power would be demonstrated in this scene. God's will, the will of the Father as exemplified from the Son, was to offer this mercy as a declaration of the fact that the kingdom of God was here and was realized in the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus, God incarnate, delivered that will to this believer. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Just believe. Rely on the mercy and the will of God. And she will be healed. When he arrived from the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with them except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. So these are the circumstances of this world seen through worldly wisdom. And there's another compound issue here that I'll tell you about, one that's assumed in the writing, but not spelled out point blank, and that was this crowd that was gathering together. In this point in time, particularly in the Jewish community, hired mourners were very much a profession. And these people, despicable as the, the practice would sound today, uh, we would glibly call them in our culture ambulance chasers. They were probably, they probably held to other professions, other trades, but their big thing was to play the flute for the funeral, to, to wail and to gnash the teeth, to make a public display for the sake of somehow comforting the family, to make a, this family look big during the presence of one of their darkest hours to feed like a parasite off of suffering. So they heard that this little woman was sick. More than that, they heard that this young lady was from a rich family. So they grabbed their flutes, they grabbed their apparel, they grabbed the, the poor clothes that they had knowing that they would tear them as a display of mourning and they ran to this house 
to wail, to gnash their teeth, to make a public display of their mourning so that Jairus would see them at work and pay them for it. So when Jesus sees this crowd, unlike the crowd that welcomed him, they wanted her dead. They wanted his suffering because they wanted to benefit from his suffering. The same way that the enemy wants you to rely on your life circumstances and living in a fallen world so that he can profit from yours. The antidote to life circumstances is faith. If it was the will of God to call this young girl home, faith would reassure this family that her suffering had ended and she is at that point in time more alive than she had ever been. And it would have held them together in the certain knowledge that her creator would sustain her even now and would wrap them in his arms. But if it was her, his will that she would be healed, he would demonstrate right down there too. See, faith holds you through any circumstance of this life. In all troublesome times and in all joy. Faith anchors us the way that it holds roots, roots to a mighty oak in the terrible, terrible storms that we can see in this world. This was a 12-year-old daughter. Someone who was just a year away from her pledge to be able, eligible to be married. In the, this culture, the beginnings of her life. In our culture, we consider this 16 and then 18. And I'm, I'm not talking about getting married at age 16 or 18. Don't hear that in you. I'm talking about their, this child was just a year away from them celebrating her beginning her life fully. And she was deathly ill. Her health had been stripped up. And she came from a synagogue official's home. Some of your translations call him a ruler of the synagogue. An elder of the community, a respected figure, one who had means, because that's generally how that worked. Someone whose job was to be a financial and a spiritual pillar of the house of God. So three of the pillars were in, in place. Let's see what his faith was like. He was tested by human reason and by peer pressure. Now, I'm sure that some of you are thinking back to your teenage years and giggling a little bit at that. But that kind of pressure exists for you to this day. It doesn't end in high school. He had heard the testimony of Jesus as well. He heard the good news of the kingdom. He approached Jesus in reverence. Even though he was a person, a high official, someone of means, someone of wealth, someone who was well respected at the city gates, he nevertheless knelt before the master. Here's the difference. He was reminded of God's will for mercy by Jesus himself. And that broke the trap. Reliance on the will of God. Reliance on the promises of God. Staying firm. Choosing faith over fear. Choosing faith in God, in His promises, in His provision, in His mercy. Choosing faith over fear. That God-given faith broke the chains disarmed the trap. 
Jesus took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. And I want you to see how Luke the physician writes this next verse. Her spirit, her soul returned. This was not resuscitation. This was resurrection. This was not simply a healing from the body, even though that happened. This was her soul and her, her body coming back together. This was a gift returned to life. A demonstration of God's awesome power delivered through His Son. Her spirit returned to her, and at once she stood up, and Jesus told them, Give her something to eat. Handle her. Embrace her. Give her something to eat. Prove this isn't just a ghost, that this isn't a fluke from the enemy. Provide for her. Love her. Take her back into your fellowship. That's what all that means. The same way that we come to the table as we will be coming next week. You who were once dead are now alive again. You who once had no name are now called by the name that is above all names. And each and every one of you have a place at his table. And if you are willing, he will provide. If you only trust him, he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Not because your will demands it of him, but because it is his will to take care of his children. Choose faith. No matter the circumstance, no matter what human wisdom tells you, no matter how dark the night may seem, choose faith. This is why I want you to study God's word. I want you to know the promises that he has given to you as an inheritance that you can take now. I want you to know the provision that he has set for you to get you through this life right now. We have the mistake of thinking that Christianity is only about the afterlife. Trust me, it is not. Because you're a child of the king right now. When this world seems its darkest, the challenge of this passage of Scripture is to choose faith. All God's people said. And Heavenly Father, as we now end the service of your word, and as we come to you during our time of invitation, if there are any that have been struggling with their situation in life, if there are any, uh, Lord, whose circumstances has caused, has blinded them from the reality of your love for them, or if there are any who have yet to know that love fully by embracing you as their Savior and Lord, may today be the day that they see the sun over the clouds, that they see the light over the storm, and that you bring to them the full assurance that God will save them, that your will is to be merciful, and that your grace is all-sufficient. Trouble the hearts of those that you would draw near. No matter their circumstances, Lord, bring them into the loving embrace of Christ. In, the match, in His matchless name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.